0: Before you turn this episode off, because grief is in the title, can you hear me out for just a second? So, so many of us in hospitality, when we feel any kind of heaviness at our table, we shoo it away, we coat it with some positivity, because we want people to leave happy. We want a sweet experience. Now, while this is definitely a beautiful thing, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it, my ultimate goal for every time we gather at the table is for meaningful connection. Now, the only way that meaningful connection can happen is when we are showing what is happening in our lives, when we're bringing the vulnerable and the raw, the real, when we're not hiding anything, when things aren't sugarcoated or dismissed or left behind. Now, this didn't change for me until a few years ago, if I'm honest. If you talk to people that knew me from when I was a lot younger, I had a very hard time talking about what was actually happening in my life until I started meeting with a mentor. Now, this mentor, when I was in my young, younger 20s, <laughs> turned to me one day and said, Katie, you're dealing with grief. And I kind of dismissed it, if I'm honest, because in that season, I didn't have anyone that passed away. I didn't just lose a friend or a loved one. And when she talked to me about it more, she was saying this childhood sorrow that you dealt with, the people that left, the dreams that died, the situations that happened and didn't, and all of these things that we had been talking about, She had brought to my attention that even all those years later, I was grieving. As I continued to work with her and work through this, I realized that this process was rather painful. And sometimes grief takes stages of anger and denial and oh, so many different feelings that we will actually talk more about today. And I turned to her one of these times that we were meeting together and I said, I wish I could just flip a switch. I wanted to kind of feel like myself again. I wanted the messiness to just be behind me because I really felt like those relationships in my life the table, and even myself. I valued clean edges. I wanted things nice and polished, and I really didn't want room for anything messy. That's when she turned to me and she said, Katie, this changed my life. She said, Katie, you have to lament to make room for what's next. Now this word lament, I'm still learning about, I'm still studying, but essentially it means going through the very thing that is causing sorrow, sitting with it, getting to know it, processing it, and then moving on from it. Now, as we process it, it almost gets smaller and smaller, making room for more of what's next, making room for more rich connection, for more joy filled opportunities, for more time around the table and happiness and all of these things that grief can tend to steal from us. So, as I chewed on this and as I really took this to be true in my own life, I realized that not only did I have to give myself permission to lament and to make room for grief, but that we as a culture have to do that too if we really want to be in relationship with people. If we really want to experience that meaningful connection and want um, to journey through life with people, we need to want this for them too. And one of the ways to show that to people is to make room for grief and to allow the lamenting process um, to be a space where they can process so that ultimately, in turn, they can make room for what's next. Now, as we're hearing this, um, this is something I'm still very much learning about, which is why I invited on our new friend Pisa Madi to help me walk through this. But as we are doing this and as we're hearing this, we're probably thinking, well, what does that look like? This isn't something that has been demonstrated to me, or this isn't something that comes natural, well, that is what we're going to talk about more today. We are going to walk through things to say and to not say, ways to be there for people that are going through grief, and ways to interact with community and to be in community when you are the one grieving. Now, grief is something that maybe you are thinking, just like me, I hadn't experienced death, so I'm not going through grief. Maybe you are grieving the loss of the last two years or just the heaviness of the last two years, or maybe something is going to come to mind today and this is going to spark a grief journey for you wherever you are coming from today. However you are, whatever position you are in listening, I just want you to know that we um, do not dismiss grief in this community and that there is room for you here. And I just know guys that as we tackle some of these conversations that cause us to be a little itchy in our skin, the ones that culture say don't really have a place at a formal table, um, I just want you to know that there is room and we are rewriting, rewriting, say that 10 times fast, <laughs> The way we approach the table and connection, and I think that by doing this brave work and by tackling it and by learning, um, like my friend P. Samadhi says in this episode, when we know better, we do better, and it is going to lead to an unbelievable change that we didn't even know we needed. Welcome to Making Room, a podcast by Gather Intentional Living and Everyday Hospitality. Listen, we understand that the way that our culture often portrays hospitality is unattainable, and sometimes even just the thought of opening your door is crippling. Join us in the pursuit to bringing beauty, meaning, and celebration back to the everyday gathering. Go ahead, take your seat. We saved one just for you. Well, welcome peace to making room. We're so excited to have you. I feel like this has been a few weeks in the making, so I'm glad we're here.
1: (laughs) I'm also glad we're here. And yes, it has been a few weeks in the making, I think because of me. So thank you for your (laughs) patience and flexibility.
0: No, I always love that because there's a lot of lead up and a a lot more time for me to learn about you. So, um, Mm. it's all good. All exciting. Um, I want to start by kind of defining um, some of the main words that we might be using this conversation today to bring clarity, okay? So I want to start by defining um, grief. What is it and who is affected by it?
1: Yeah. Well, um, to answer that, I'd like to start by defining sadness because grief is a a deeper form of sadness. So sadness is what we feel when we've experienced or are experiencing some sort of, um, loss, loss of something that's been important to us. Um, it's, it's emotionally uncomfortable, but, but it is healthy. It kind of shows us what's important in our lives. Um, grief is a kind of a deeper well of that sadness. So whereas, sadness is emotionally uncomfortable. Grief is sort of an emotional suffering around a deeper loss. Um, and it affects everybody. <laughs> We've all lost things. Um, the most, probably the thing that comes to mind when we say grief is, you know, those of us who've lost loved loved ones. Um, that's a very, um, kind of, yeah, typical understanding of what it means to grieve. And, and that's probably one of the hardest things a person can endure in our lifetime is when we lose someone we love to, to death. Um, um, but grief can also occur on account of a loss of a a, a loss of, of a, a dream or, um, or a career or an opportunity or something else that is a really defining part of our identity or life experience. So anything that we lose, whether it's a person or, or, um, or a thing, um, can result in grief.
0: So I remember kind of like you know, we're we're living on our own. We were just newly married. We were working with a mentor or like one of our new jobs. And they, um, through a conversation where a lot of just like life stuff came up, they looked at me and said, I think you're dealing with grief. Mm. And I was like, no, 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 because no one had died. (laughs) And I remember that was the first time in my life where I kind of like shift the narrative that there could be grief showing up in our lives in more ways than just death. And I don't know, would you agree that, culture gives us permission to grieve death but not other things would you say that's true
1: oh that's a great question i would i would say yeah i would say i would say there's a lot more yeah absolutely understanding and acceptance and like you said permission to grieve grieve death um, and perhaps because of lack of understanding
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, or just, you know, lack of awareness, there's less of that permission. Like you can easily call off work if you lose somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you'll you'll get the understanding of your boss. Um, it, less likely so if you're calling because you're grieving an opportunity or, you know, you're grieving, mm-hmm. you know, a missed, you know, wh- whatever the case may be, you, you say that you're probably going to you you're, you're likely not to get that same oh okay yeah take all the time you need to grieve that and i just think we haven't quite gotten there in our culture to understand that grief is grief um and the symptoms are the same and the reactions are the same or you know within within reason obviously um regardless of where it came from mm-hmm.
0: so that uh, statement in my life from someone that i respected kind of started the process of me giving myself permission to accept that some of these things were grief and to deal with them as grief, even if people around me didn't get it. Um, but I want to talk about, so maybe this is like an awakening for someone for the first time. Oh, that's what that thing is, you know, showing up in my life. Um, what can we tell them to expect, like, as far as what grief may look like?
1: Yeah. So it can look like a lot of things. That's the thing with our emotions, right? It's that they can be different things for different people. But with grief, what I found, what I've seen, you know, what's in the research is that you can you can expect to have symptoms that fall sort of like in the emotional category. Um, the mental category, the physical category, the spiritual category, all of the above, some, it will just vary from person to person, but grief, this deep, you know, emotional suffering, this deep sense of loss. um, And and it's also a very isolating experience, this deep sense of isolation because of what you've lost um, can really show up in all those different ways. So as an example, I think, you know, so spiritually, um, you may you know some people's grief leads to a sort of faith crisis of sorts. You know, I've I've worked with people who've lost children and or have lost parents, and that's just not an experience that anybody expects, um, especially when you you know believe in a in a God that you know loves and provides and you know, protects and all of that. And, you know, not to turn this into a, like a whole theological discussion, but Absolutely. it's a very hard, it's, it's a very jarring experience to, to go through things like that. And I think, I think a lot of us can understand why people would struggle to still believe in God or believe in the God that they once believed in um, when they experience a loss that deep. So a faith crisis would be a, sort of like a spiritual um, manifestation of, of what that grief looks like. But then we're also talking about, um, you know, mental things, like I said, um, as, as one of the examples, like literally just difficulty concentrating in your life or ruminating about the loss, not being able to stop thinking about thinking about it or mental confusion. Um, physically we may start oversleeping or, um, not sleeping enough or overeating or not eating enough. You know, we, uh, make be we may not be able to stop crying. Um, there's just, yeah, it just can really depend on the person. I don't think I mentioned emotional, which may be also the first thing we think about, but there'll be anger. There'll be a sense of betrayal. There'll be despair. There'll be fear. I mean, any one of these reactions, Um, can, can happen, you know, can occur. And I think once you, once people realize that, um, once people realize that literally the, the weeks, the months, the year after the loss can be full of emotional, um, you know, distress and mental distress and spiritual distress, I think Yeah, I I guess what I'm trying to say is this is a really, really important thing to acknowledge because you'll notice these things happening and you'll think that you're, you know, you're weak or like this is silly, but this is literally the pattern of, of grief in many people's lives.
0: As I'm hearing you explain all this, what I love about it, um, two different things. One, I'm sure there's people listening, like I said, that are kind of identifying with this and able to name it maybe for the first time, like I experienced, but also um, as someone just in a member of community saying, oh, maybe that's what that person's going through. Mm -hmm. And I think we're so quick to assume that people's emotions or anger, all these change of habits can mean something, Um, something else than what is real. Um, And so I love that this gives us some kind of maybe new lens to approach people with a little bit more understanding and grace. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Understanding grace, compassion. Yeah. All all of that. It it helps to know. That's why knowledge is so important. The the more we know, it's a a Maya Angelou quote, um, when you know better, you do better. Right. Um, I think that's, it sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Typically, typically when you know better, you do better. And so, yeah, this, this is a very normal thing for people who have lost someone or again, something Mm -hmm. important to them to experience.
0: So I would say probably one of the most common questions or statements that comes up when You're a member of community interacting with someone going through grief is people will say, oh, I just don't know what to say. Or what should I even say? Um, I guess let's start with the, um, hmm, what I shouldn't say. What would you say to that?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) I talk about this so much. I feel like I'm making, I feel like I'm annoying people at this point because I've just been really big um, as of late um, in my work, talking about things that are just really unhelpful to say uh, to someone in emotional pain, to someone who is grieving. And, you know, I I don't, I, again, when you know better, you do better. So it's not to, you know, judge anyone or demonize anyone. It's really because I want to see us do better in community for each other. Cause there's a lot of power. There's a lot of power um, that, you know, there's a lot of power. I believe God gives us to heal right in our communities and right in our relationships. And that's literally going to be like a whole other book, but for now um, I'll say that Um, I don't, Katie, I don't even, where do I want to even start with that? Let me say this. Let me say this. I will say that saying anything that your number one goal is to make someone feel better, um, like immediately, Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, kind of simplify or minimize what they may be going through because, you're uncomfortable and you don't know how to deal with it, I would say it's better to just not say anything if that is your end goal. Do people
0: Um, call that toxic positivity? Like that kind of thing? Like, oh, it's fine. mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That's one of the, that's definitely one of the phrases I would use toxic uh, positivity. And and then depending on whether you're using like spiritual language, I would also call that spiritual bypassing. So that's another concept I get into um, in my book where we use spiritual ideas, for example, saying just right off that, oh, you're going through this for a reason. Like, you know, God is doing this to you for a reason. And again, I don't want to turn this into a theological discussion, but, you know, I've if somebody just lost their child, you know, if somebody just was raped, abused, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, just got a terminal illness and, you know, has four kids they're going to leave behind. And the first thing you say is this is happening for a reason, like that's just not going to be helpful. It's going to be, Uh, very, very painful and likely do the opposite of what you intend to do as far as someone's faith and belief system. Um, It's very traumatizing. And I'm loving that people are starting to say, yeah, these types of things have not been helpful for me to hear in my pain and actually made things worse. Um, Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely.
0: I think it's so, so good because I think there's a side of culture or a train of thought that kind of glorifies those phrases and that positivity. And I mean, it's a good thing, right? But sometimes people aren't capable of entering into that. Um, Or I mean, the reality that they need to, they need to walk through this a little bit longer to heal. Right. I mean,
1: exactly, exactly. All yes. A, B, C, D, all the above. There's just so, I mean, Pain and healing is just such a complicated, complex, or let me not, let me not necessarily complicated. Let me say complex, such a complex, intricate, um, individualized, personalized process that there's no kind of blanket statement um, that's going to be, you know, the thing, (laughs) you know, um, and especially, like you said, these things that have been glorified, um i i think we're learning as a culture and as a as a community mm-hmm. yeah, even as a faith co- community like globally and individually like it just may not be um it's just not it's just not helpful um the implications are far more damaging than helpful mm-hmm. so yeah but to go back to your question there there may be a and, and naturally kind of an urge to just want somebody to like snap out of it, just feel better, be better, think on the bright side, be, you know, stay positive positive, get that. But if you think about that, that's usually because we're uncomfortable. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. You know um, we, we want to say something that's going to take kind of this pressure off um, where real kind of friendship, companionship, care, community is really about just being with a person in their pain. It's really just about holding space. It's actually a lot more simple than we make it out to be. Um, It's not about saying the right thing. It's about being there. It's about being present. And so the second half of your question, you know, the types of things we say, I think we, I think we should say, I believe the most helpful things to say are literally the simplest, most natural things to say. Like, I don't know what to say right now. I mean, when something is, when something has happened to somebody we love and it is overwhelming. It is jarring. It is painful. There's not a lot to say, you know, it's like, I don't know what to say right now, but I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say right now, but my heart is breaking with you. I don't know why this happened to you. You didn't deserve this. You know, I I don't know what to do, but I'm here for you. And I'm not going to leave until it's okay for me to leave. You know, it's, it's, it's really those simple. I don't know. I'm human. I don't get it, but I'm hurting it. I'm sad along with you. That really are the most powerful things and most helpful things to say to someone in pain, because it's about presence. It's about being there. It's about that person feeling like they're, they're not going to have to go through this totally alone.
0: Powerful stuff. Yep. Now I think that's a good segue into the point that, um, Grief is rarely a short season and I think, or healing through grief or walking through it. Um, and I think along with the um, you know, like toxic positivity or spiritual bypassing, we expect like, however you want to say it, a quick move of God or like a mm-hmm. quick turn to joy and all of these things. And in community, we could expect that or project that onto people. Or quite frankly, those are the things that I projected on myself um, as I was processing with it and expecting for me. Um, so let's talk about like the process of grief. I know we were saying it's not going to be the same person to person, but what are some of the things that we could expect timeline wise?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, typically you're going to, you're, we, uh, I I don't even know if I want to say that. I don't even know if I want to say that I'll, I'll say that generally, like you just said, um it's all going to be it's all going to be different for each person mm-hmm. truly so much that some people may not even do something we would all expect a lot of people to do which is which is cry so you know there are people who won't experience grief within days weeks or months of something really hard happening they they just haven't gotten there yet. It just has not been either the time, the space or they it just hasn't it just hasn't hit them and um there's something interesting that actually goes on with the brain that i I find uh, very important to talk about, which is um the the brain is actually you know actually sets us up. it's sort of how do I want to say this it <clears throat> you know, you know, the idea of, of, of dosing, um, you know, when we're, we're getting, we're getting a medication that we're going to get like different doses and we're going to have to adjust, you know, the dosage to make sure it's right. And it does the job. The brain sort of does that during grief as well. It might give us just a little bit kind of you know protect us from like the deepest reality of what just happened um because if we give it to if, if if the brain sort of gives us too much in that moment at one time we may not survive it. So there's a natural dosing process where it's like okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to like sort of shut off a little part of you so that you're only experiencing this pain just a little bit for your own survival. And then maybe like a month later, I'm going to give you a little bit more of that reality um, so you can, you know, process it, but at a level you can really process it. And then maybe a year from now, I'm really going to let it hit you. And, I'm you know, I'm kind of describing it very, you know, kind of crudely in a way, but um, that's essentially. Even what the brain is doing for us, going to show that some people may may get that dose, that bigger dose at the beginning, and grieve their heart out within the first days, week, month, and some people literally may not shed a tear until two years later. You know, it's just something happens, something is triggered, they're ready to deal, and then they deal. So I I, I really can't sit here and say that there's a general process of timing of how grief occurs or even, you know, a very popular model people have referred to as like the stages of grief. Like there's going to be like shock and then there's going to be anger and then there's going to be bargaining. I mean, um, the woman, um, behind that, behind that theory before, before she passed said, you know, I created these stages. Um, I literally like came up with these stages specifically for people who were given terminally ill diagnoses and this was about how they were like dealing with their terminal illness and the fact that they had so there's there's even a like a common understanding of the way we do grief that grief occurs in these stages and and that's a theory by um Elizabeth Kubler-Ross but even her before she passed said something to the to the tune of like, I never meant this. I never meant for these uh, for these stages to be taken as sort of like an overarching mm-hmm. expectation of how grief is going to occur. Like I literally came up with this, with this framework um, based off of researching people who were just given um, terminal illnesses, diagnose diagnoses. And like, this is how they were dealing with their final days of life. You know, it was literally specifically for that population, but the world has kind of ran away with it and um, sort of like over applied it to the way we do grief and, and sort of trying to make grief a a predictable process, but it's, it's really not, it's not predictable as far as the timing. It's not predictable as far as what you're going to experience, whether like in her model, it's like there's shock and then there's anger and then there's bargaining and then there's acceptance. Like some people may never accept. Some people may never bargain. Some people may experience anger right away. Anger, never, you know? So it's really, it's really does vary. Um, grief really does vary what it looks like, how it happens, when it happens. And so my rules for grief, like when I'm teaching people how to be with others in grief or even teaching people how to deal with grief themselves, I say, you know, don't judge your grief. Like my rules are don't judge your grief. You may be surprised what you grieve over. You may be surprised that you're not grieving the way you would um, about something. Don't judge that. Like just be, don't rush your grief. Don't force your grief, just be, just let your body, your mind, your soul do what it needs to do. And, you know, you'll find your way through at some point with community, with friendship, with companionship, with love, with your faith. Um, But you can't judge it. You can't rush it. You can't force it. And you can't expect for it to look like anybody else's.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's such good permission, such good invitation. Um, now I was going to ask this question, but I would imagine it's going to be, it's going to vary just as much, but um, let's go there anyway. So yeah. as, as a host, what is the best way that we could support people in our life going through grief? Now I said, or now I know you said one of the best ways was to just be there. So mm-hmm. the present of presence kind of thing. Um, now, what else? I mean, let's think practical a little bit. So sometimes that can be giving a meal um, without expectation of being entertained, but just dropping off food. Um, what else would you say?
1: Yeah, um, I think it's it's kind of all of the above of the sort of things that that we've been talking about. Like, again, I've been really big on what not to say and what to say. But just to sort of like summarize that in general, what being there may look like maybe, you know, just sharing, sharing your, if we're we're talking about grief or actually emotional pain in general, sharing your anger, you know, sharing the fact that, um, you don't believe, like, you don't think this is fair per se. You're so sad that this has happened to this person. Like they, they didn't deserve this. And if you think about some of the things that we grieve about, I mean, those, some of those phrases are really fitting you know if we are thinking about somebody who lost, you know lost a loved one or got a life altering injury or whatever like there's there's anger there that that person is likely feeling um and it it can be really important and helpful to just mirror right just mirror those feelings just join in with those feelings um obviously sharing compassion that i'm so sorry um, you know, my heart is hurting. I I am so sad about this along with you. Um, but this permission, you've brought this word up a couple of times, would be another important thing. So permission is or encouraging, permission is encouraging the person to talk about it if they want to talk about it, cry about it, if they want to cry about it, be angry about it, you know, if they want to be angry about it, feel whatever they want to feel um, whenever they want to feel it sort of encouraging permission to be and to feel and to do provided it's not something that's obviously harmful to themselves or others, whatever it is they need to do. And then practical support goes a long way. It can be overwhelming to be asked a bunch of times, like, what do you need? What do you want? Um, you know, you know, just tell me, just tell me what you need, and I'll be there for you. You know, that comes from a good place, but someone may not even be in a place to even know what they need or state um, state what they need. So I would say, think about what you would need. Sort of put yourself in their shoes. This is someone who just lost their mom, or lost their child, or you know, lost their job. They're probably not thinking about how to. You know, they're probably not think about dinner. You know, they're probably not thinking about. Uh, chores. They're probably not thinking about laundry. They're they're probably not thinking about a lot of things that, um, you know, left unattended to for a while could could make the whole situation even worse. So whatever it is you need on a daily basis, how can you just show up with those things and let it be on the person um, to take advantage of it or not? Like you know, that food may stay on the on the front door you know, for a week, but, but they did see that you did, you know, bring it over. And so if they need it, they want it, they've got it. And they know that you're there thinking of them. So that practical support goes a really long way. If the person is able to state what they want, do, do what they want. If they're able to state what they need, do what they need. If they're not put yourself in their shoes and just do what you feel like you would need or want. Um, And that, again, that intention um, is felt, And you, 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 when you're thinking like that, you have a better chance of getting it right than wrong.
0: That's so good. Yeah. I think as a culture, we fall in the trap of, oh, let me know when you need help, you know? And, and like you said, it's kind of twofold. There's, there's a hesitancy as a person to ask for help. And then some are generally, and then sometimes people don't even know what they need. And so, um, love that. I think that's so real. (laughs) That's so helpful as well. Um, I want to end by talking to the person, uh, maybe going through grief that feels like, or in the future, you know, if one of us is experiencing grief, um, and the, having the feeling along with that, that the connection to community has been broken or there's some kind of strain with community because of grief. Um, what would your encouragement be to them?
1: (sighs) Hmm. That's a good question. And that's hard because, excuse me, because. That's hard because grief is a very isolating experience in general. I mean, when you're going through a deep loss, I mean, chances are there's nobody else in your life, maybe outside of like your closest family, if it's like a family death, that's experiencing what you're experiencing. And, you know, that's a really, um, that's just a hard reality of of, of um, loss and emotional pain and Um, even like just mental health um, struggles in general, is that literally as much as people want to be there for you, they are not feeling what you're feeling. And that is hard. So I just want to acknowledge that it's natural for this to feel isolating. Um, But companionship and community in this time is so vitally important to being able to survive. So my encouragement is while... You may not have the capacity to be with a ton of people at a time, you know, while you may not have a capacity to, to, you know, respond to everybody that's texting you or inviting you pick the few, you know, pick the few, pick a few, um, that you trust that you feel like you can do the, the least with as far as saying the the least you need to say to feel understood and to feel supported and and feel comforted and and let people be there for you. They won't always get it right. They're they're not going to feel exactly what you're feeling and and you know this, you know, because you you already feel that isolation. It's very painful. But I would encourage you still let people be there for you because it's literally your lifeline.
0: Oh, man. Well, like we kind of were talking about before we you know, hit record, we could have this be a uh, <laughs> a multi-day conversation, mm-hmm. right? Like a deep dive. There's so much to unpack and discover here. But I think this was a really good um, just like framework for us to follow as a host at our tables mm-hmm. uh, because it is such a part of all of our lives. Um, yeah. And so there's, there's hope here. There's encouragement here. And like you said, we're not trying to demonize anyone or, um, there's a lot to learn. And now, um, What was that? What was that quote? When we know better, we do better.
1: Yes, that's exactly it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Good, good. Well, I want to segue and ask you three questions that we ask every guest, and I'm very anxious to hear your um, your responses. So (laughs) Um, I'd love to know something that you found beautiful lately, whether it's in your work, your personal life, any of
1: it. Yeah, um, I have found the vulnerability of uh, the people in my world and my community really beautiful. Um, I've been sharing a lot more on my social channels, um, about, or just more, I would say like intentionally about various things regarding mental health and, you know, um, healing and, you know, um, what, you know, the, the beautiful things about faith in God and, and the things that have not been so beautiful. And I've just been getting a ton of messages um and just a lot of vulnerability um, and honesty about what people have endured and what has been helpful and what has not been helpful. And I just love it because I think as we share our stories, again, that's a part of the know better, you do better. The more we share, the more we're just really real about the things that have been good and not so good and helpful and not so helpful, the closer we're going to get to really being what I think God intends us to be for each other.
0: Okay. On a little bit of a lighter, different note, what is something that you've eaten recently and loved?
1: Ooh, Curry Mm -hmm. yellow Curry. And I, I'm no, I'm not new to Curry at all. Thai food is literally like top three favorite foods, but I have found um, a curry packet so I can make at home. And I have just been loving life this week. I meal prepped right. with it, <laughs> put some, you know, nice fresh chicken in the sauce. And I am, you know, with my Jasmine rice and a little vegetables and I'm a happy girl. I'm a happy girl.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, a gathering that you've attended that made you feel a strong sense of belonging.
1: Ooh, um, you know, I would say my classroom. So I'm a psychology professor and obviously because of COVID, we have been off campus up until this semester for almost two years. And so this semester has been new to being back on campus. And, um, I think because we've been isolated and disconnected from each other for so long, being in my classroom now with my kids, I call them kids, even though they're full-fledged adults, but they're my kids, (laughs) um, has just, it's, it's, it's been really special. I think everyone just is, there's that sense of, we really need to not take Things for granted, each other for granted, time together for granted, gathering for granted. And I think that just like acute awareness of like nothing is guaranteed and, and, you know, including like this just simple things like being together has made everyone just, I don't know, like just people's spirits are glowing and there's just so much inclusion and love and appreciation for each other. And so even though they're my students and they look up to me and I'm their teacher, I'm feeling just a great sense of belonging in, in their, in their love and their warmth and their reception of me. It's, it's been beautiful.
0: I'm so thankful you guys have that. It's So good.
1: Hmm. Such
0: an important (laughs) Transition for all of you, I bet, after that year, right? Yep. (laughs) Well, I am currently chewing through your book at a very slow pace so that I soak it all up. (laughs) I love that.
1: It's you know what, you know how there's books like that? You
0: start reading it and you're like, I'm not gonna rush through this, you know. Right.
1: That's what everyone's saying. My friends are like, Yeah, we're reading and then I'll get a text a week later like, okay. (laughs) I need to, I need to come back. Like, I didn't know. They'll be like, I didn't know, sis. I didn't know. Like I had to sit here and like work. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> awesome. Um,
0: but what I was telling you too, was I love the way that you talk about all of these hard topics, these hard mental health topics. The name of the book is Why Do I Feel Like This? But you you talk about it in such an approachable, invitational way. Um, and so I would just encourage everyone to go get your copy. We'll tag a link to it in the notes. Um, but where can people follow you on your social
1: accounts? First, thanks for that. That was really sweet. Um, and yes, go get the book. And people can follow me at on Instagram would probably be the best place at It's Peace It's Peace Um, Pretty easy to find. I'm over there talking about all things, mental health and faith. Um, those are my two favorite worlds and they merge for me. And so I talk all about it.
0: Amazing. 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 All that will be in the show notes, but thank you so much. Peace. This was um, so, so rich. So glad we got to do this.
1: Me too. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, go follow her, guys, and we will see you next week.